Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I, uh, I love a car journey. I, I love to drive. I drive everywhere with my job. I do thousands and thousands of miles each year. And so the car has become a sanctuary. If you go in my car right now, it looks like a tip because it kind of collects uh, empty containers that I kind of empty on a monthly basis. It's disgusting. Uh, but the car is a sanctuary. I love to put on an audio book, the Bible, a preach, some worship, and then I journey. And it's become a, a real happy place for me. But with all the miles, you bump into like full-on nutters on the road. Uh, even just yesterday, I saw three car crashes, almost one after another. There was a car crash that people were interested in, so crashed into the car in front, and so on and so forth. Three different car crashes. And I don't know what it is about me, but I seem to attract the nutters. Um, I, I find them on the road, and then sometimes they chase me. Uh, there was one particular time when um, I was chased by a man. Uh, when I looked in my rearview mirror, every time I did, he, he would like s- send his hand across his neck like he fully intended to cut my head off. And, and scary enough, on the front of his... Uh, my wife is saying, please don't talk about this. But on the, on the front of his car, it said tree surgeon. So I know like he's got equipment. He's, <laughs> He's got the equipment necessary to decapitate me. And, and I, I'd love to tell you that the family weren't with me on that particular occasion, but they were. And uh, we were also going on our way to a church walk, uh, which made it extra bad. So we had to go through various red lights in order to escape this guy. And my parents-in-law are in the room, and that's even better right now. I, I, I love that. And uh, so some nuts. Uh, my, one of my favorite stories is I was taking a guy who'd gotten saved that I was working with. This is a guy with a notorious past. Uh, he was a cage fighter. He was uh, a doorman um, and uh, a drug addict, drug dealer. Big, like big, just a lump, skinhead, mean looking. He looked the part, like Tom O'Toole. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so... I'm taking this guy because, because he's got saved and he finds out there's a warrant for his arrest uh, down in Oxford. And so he, he hears this from his parents, the police have come knocking, and he said to me, Sam, what should I do? Should I, should I just hide? You know, I'm in Manchester, they'll never find me. And he said, you know what, I think I need to hand myself in. So I put him in the car, I said, I will drive you to the police station in Oxford where you can hand yourself in. And so we're driving down and my mate James he kind of rolls his seat back to flap and sleeps the way there, right? He's, he's very contented. And, uh, but we go past a nutter who wants to end my life. And so I'm driving alongside it, and this guy's like, I'm going to get you. I'm going to kill you. All these kind of um, hand gestures. I'll let you guess what kind of hand gestures are coming my way. And I've got big James there, but they can't see him. And I'm just like... <laughs> Come on then. <laughs> Shall we pull over? I'm like, so I'm like, <laughs> and my laughter was just making this guy even more angry. I'm just like, I just wanted to wind James's seat up. <laughs> Hello. 
you know, just to like, let me introduce you to my cage fighting former bouncer who's going to destroy you. Um, I am a believer. I am a Christian. Um, <laughs> at one particular time, we were dry, I was driving home from work and I, was, I wasn't chased at this particular time, but there was, I saw a boy racer on his way. Uh, and he was kind of overtaking people he shouldn't overtake. And kind of, I knew eventually the nutter is going to find me. And then he was right up my like, backside. So, I, you know, I'm a sensible driver. So I, I just drove kind of old man style. And, uh, and that really aggravated him. And so at one point he swings out and then he has to come back in. And then he swings out and gets alongside me, be like this. And so I wind my window down and then... It's a car full of my lads from youth. And, uh, and so they're just like gesticulating. And then they're like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Ooh, drive back behind me. There you go. So tonight is all about road rage and anyone who's got issues. Let's just do ministry time right now. But tonight I want to look at a journey that two young men are on. It's in Luke chapter 24 if you want to open your Bibles. A journey that takes place at a very critical time in the history of the world. But two guys on a journey who fail to recognize the person who walks up alongside them. Let me read to you from Luke 24 from verse 13. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. We're told it's the same day. I'm like, give me a bit more information. Well, you've got the Bible, but let me tell you what's going on this day. This is the same day that Mary Magdalene had gone to the tomb of Jesus to anoint his body after he'd uh, been died and put, been died, killed and put in the tomb. She wants to go and anoint the body and she finds the tomb empty. This is the same day that the angel had appeared to a a bunch of ladies and told them that Jesus Christ had risen. This is the same day that Peter and John had that running race to the tomb. This is the same day that John ran and won. This is Resurrection Sunday. This is the greatest day in history. The best, the finest, the greatest day. And while a bunch of disciples are, who, who would have been following Jesus are either going crazy with excitement or crazy with fear or crazy with joy, two disciples have decided to go for a walk. They've just decided this is the day to take on a seven-mile hike. And they're headed to Emmaus. We're told that's seven miles away. Scholars will speculate it was to the west and downhill towards the sun. You can picture it for yourself. But the big question is, why are they going to Emmaus? What is going on? Why are they leaving at this critical time? Why would they leave the action? Why would they leave their friends? Why would they leave their brothers in arms? Why would they leave their community? Why? Let me give you some speculation. I've, I've got some speculation. I've read what the scholars say, and I'm going to disagree with them all. I've got a theory. You know that bit when Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, and they borrow a donkey? I'm thinking these are the most conscientious disciples who thought someone should take the donkey back. <laughs> 
I think they're doing a good job. Maybe, maybe that's it. Or maybe they're just getting on with the mission. They remember the words of Jesus. And he just said, I'll send you out two by two. Go about from town to town. The places that I intend to go. And they're like, let's get me and you. We're a two. Let's go. But I doubt it. I'm with the scholars. These boys are quitters. They're going home. They want to escape the madness. They've had enough emotion. They're so confused about what's going on. And they're like, let's get out of here to another place. Let's get some space and work out what is going to happen next. It's all got a bit weird. What is more puzzling for me, though, is what is Jesus doing Like, I can understand why they would go. I could understand in the moment of fear and anxiety and worry and confusion, you might pick a pal and say, let's get out of here for just a few days. But what is Jesus doing? And where is he off to? These fellas are walking and they're talking. Now, they're not on a power march. This is not like Olympic speed walking speed. This is not sticks and gaiters. This this is a pretty slow and sad walk. And they're chatting things through. And out of nowhere, Jesus begins to catch up with them. Had he walked the whole day from Jerusalem behind them? Had he been tracking them? Had he seen them leave? And he thought, I'm just going to see where these lads are off to. But what I know is that Jesus doesn't know about walking etiquette. I know that when you walk alongside, up towards or behind someone, you don't join in their walk. I know it's really awkward to walk next to some people that are also on a walk. Think about dovestones. You'd never just think, well, they're going the same speed. You know what it is. As you're approaching them, you speed up a little bit. And then you get past it. You may say a good morning or a good afternoon. And then you slow back down to your speed. You would never, never join the walk of somebody else. Jesus walks alongside. He's not bothered. He's not, he's not finding it awkward. But the disciples, I reckon they go from talking and lamenting and maybe the volume drops because this is kind of a private chat. You know when someone you think, well, I think they could probably hear this. So I just drop a few decibels. Maybe they look at each other a little bit awkward and then there's awkward looks at Jesus like, is this something we can help you with, guy? Because they don't recognize They don't realize it's Jesus who is alongside them. But we are told they're kept somehow, supernaturally, from from recognizing the appearance of their Lord and their Savior. Somehow heaven disguises Christ. And why would that be? And I wonder if it's so in this moment Jesus gets to hear their heart. Jesus wants to hear the heart of broken disciples. Jesus walks with them. And I love it. Jesus walks with them. This is my first point. Jesus walks with the broken, the mourning, the weak, the disappointed. This is Resurrection Sunday. This is the day that if I rose from the grave, I'd want there to be an almighty party. I'd be like, I was dead, now I'm alive. Let's get all the believers, let's have a right royal party. Jesus isn't amongst the fittest and the faithful. Jesus isn't amongst the best and the brightest. Jesus, on the day he raises from the dead, decides he's going for a walk with the broken hearted. 
Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he incredible? Jesus wants to be amongst the doubters, amongst the quitters, amongst the disappointed, amongst the disheartened. Jesus wants to walk with the fearful and the broken, the mourning and the weak. Jesus pursues them. Jesus sees them out in front, going away brokenhearted from Jerusalem, having seen their Lord and Savior die upon a cross, and it's all done and dusted. And he says, I'm going to be with them. I want to be with them. We have an incredible Jesus. Jesus goes after them. Jesus taught that he was the good shepherd who'd leave the 99 and go after the one. And right now he sees two and says, they'll do. I need to be amongst the broken. He goes after them. Take heart. Jesus comes after us. Jesus wants to walk with us. This has been an incredibly difficult season. This feels like it's a season that's not going to end. I'm a bit worried about the future. This is a right mess. The world has never looked so stinking, so horrible. This is a difficult time. But Jesus wants to walk with us. Write it down on your paper. Jesus wants to walk with me. Jesus, the God of compassion, who wants to suffer with us. The disciples look at each other. Jesus is totally space invading. You know those people that just are too close, and you're like, give me at least two meters. I don't care about COVID, but go away. <laughs> and, he, and I love what Jesus says. He says, what are you two talking about? <laughs> Hello. Like, where have you been? What are you discussing together as you walk along? Here's point number two. Jesus wants in. Jesus wants to know. He already knows. He knows exactly what is going on. He knows about what they're chatting about. Jesus has got magic skills. Not even magic, is it? Supernatural. Jesus has got supernatural skills that know the heart and mind of those he's with. But yet, he wants them to tell him. He wants them to share their heart. He wants them to explain. Jesus wants to know their suffering. Jesus wants to know our suffering. What are you discussing as you walk along? What are you discussing as you walk along? What are the murmurings of your heart? Where is your brain going? What worries you? Jesus wants in. Jesus wants to know. What are you discussing as you walk along? And it's almost like this question is the thing that really irritates them more. They can't walk and talk and discuss it, and so they stand still and their heads drop, and they're broken by Jesus' question, like it's just too much for them to take. Sadness written across their face. They're dejected, they're disappointed, they're brokenhearted, they're hopeless. And one of them, named Cleopas, asks, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Cleopas gets sassy. 
I don't know if it's shock, I don't know if it's frustration, but in that moment, he's like, there are two and a quarter million people that have come on pilgrimage, come to Passover in Jerusalem. And this Passover, of all the Passovers, is the most eventful. Everybody's talking about the same man, the same thing. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. Are you the only one who doesn't know? Do you see the beautiful irony? He's the only one that does know. Like, imagine if Jesus had said, let me tell you about the last three days. Let me just reveal to you a few of the things that I've been through. Are you the only one who doesn't know? He's like, I'm the only one. I'm the only one who truly knows. Jesus is epic. He says, what things? What? What things? Jesus says, what things? What an amazing response. Jesus wants to hear their heart. Jesus wants to know their perspective. Tell me what's been going on. Give me your account of the story. Share your heart with me. Jesus pursues them. Jesus joins them in their sorrow. Jesus walks alongside them and he says, tell me what's going on. Tell me what is happening. He knows all things, and yet he still wants your views. He wants your perspective. He wants to see the world through your eyes. He wants you to tell you. He, he wants you to tell you. I can't get that right. He wants to know what you think. <laughs> he wants to know your fears. He wants to know your concerns, your misconceptions. He asks us the same question that he asked those disciples: What things? What things consume you? What things fill your mind? What things rage within your heart? Tell me. And they answer. And they begin to talk about this guy called Jesus of Nazareth, their friend, leader, rabbi, prophet, a man powerful in word and in deed before God and all people, killed upon a cross. Then they give him four words. But we had hoped. Wow. How sad and broken are these boys. But we had hoped. They'd hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. They'd hoped that Jesus was the one that came to save. They'd hoped that Jesus would fix it all, make it all better, redeem it, make it good. All hope is lost All hope is gone. And they say, and this, this is the third day. And they knew that the third day was the day when someone is so dead, they're dead, dead. You know, they're dead, double dead, dead as a dodo, dead. No chance, no comeback. Three days, it's all done and dusted. And then Jesus does the most beautiful thing. He says, how foolish you are. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe that all the prophets, to not believe, hang on a minute, how foolish you are, how slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Sounds like not the way you'd speak to someone who's just revealed a little bit of who they are, just gotten a bit vulnerable and shared, and then you say, how foolish. (laughs) But Jesus doesn't say this in anger. Jesus is not upset. Jesus is not in any way frustrated. Jesus 
is full of compassion, full of understanding. And this is the start of good news. Are oh, you guys not seen it? Now you've told me what's going on. You've revealed your heart to me. Now let me give you truth. Jesus reframes and transforms their understanding with truth. Once he's given them a chance to share their understanding, he says, now let me show you. Let me show you what's really happened. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things? And then enter his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. Jesus, the word of God, cracks open the word of God and kind of takes them through almost book by book, letter by letter, every piece of scripture. There's 353 Old Testament prophecies concerning himself. And I bet he went, here we go, lads. Buckle in, seatbelts on. Let me take you through the scriptures because you're going to love this ride. I'm going to blow your mind. Seven miles, seven miles walking with Jesus as he tells you his story in the Bible. Whoa, come on. I want that story. I can't wait for heaven. That's what I'm going to ask first. Can I just have a seven mile walk with you? Lord, I need this Take me through the scriptures. Tell me your story. I just love to imagine, you know, as he's, as he's going through the prophecies, I wonder if he ever made a mistake. You know where he goes, uh, you know, and, it's, and then Moses wrote and said, I, I don't mean I. You know, he drops himself into the story. The Messiah, I mean the Messiah. The Moses said the Messiah would. And so on and so forth. Amazingly, the greatest preacher of all time. This is what I'm fascinating. If you're a preacher, know this. Even the greatest preacher, preaching the greatest preacher of all time, and still they don't recognize it. Still they can't see Jesus. As he, as he gives it them in all its glory, still they don't spot that he's the Messiah. And at Emmaus, Jesus says, as they find reach their destination, I love it, Jesus says, right lads, I just got somewhere else I need to go. I'm like, where's he going? Like, who's he need to see? Where's he off to next? I am so fascinated. Right, lads, I'm heading on. And they say, oh, just stay a little longer. Sit down and eat with us. And they go into the house and they go to the table. Verse 30, and when he was at the table with them, Jesus takes control. I love this. They invite him in to eat and Jesus says, by the way, I do the thing at the table. Watch this. With them at the table, he takes the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they realized, and they recognized him. Don't you love it? Four days earlier, just four days earlier, Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which was given for you. Do this to remember me. As Tom so beautifully led us through this morning, this is a passage of scripture that is repeated four days later to people who can't recognize, people who can't remember, people who have already forgotten four days later. And Jesus picks up the bread and he begins to give thanks and he breaks it and they're like, we've seen that somewhere before. Who? No way. 
As he breaks the bread, their eyes are opened. They see his face. Jesus is revealed in the intimacy of the table. As they begin to commune with Jesus, Jesus is revealed. And as soon as they recognize him, this is the most disappointing bit. As soon as they recognize him, he's off, he's gone. And I'm like, just stay a little bit longer. We can talk about all the things we said, which we wish we hadn't said. We wish we had more time. We don't know how he does it. We're not giving details of how he disappears. Does he distract them and then he goes out the other door? I've had that one time. It's awkward when it happens to you. Does he excuse himself? Sorry, guys, I need to go. Now's the time. Or is he like me at a wedding? I pretend to go to the toilet and just get in the car and go. You know, that is the way it should be done. Suddenly he's gone. And all that the disciples don't do that. It's really bad etiquette. Um, all the guys are left with is hearts that burn. All they are left with that are hearts that are on fire. That beautiful piece of scripture, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. But what I love is, and what I want to draw your attention to as I finish up is, what happens next? And we don't get enough about it, but I want to land here. They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. I imagine them not finishing the meal, not thinking about the at bedtime. They just get their sandals on and they begin to get going. They cannot stand still. They're like, Jesus is gone, we're gone. Sandals on, let's go. And they're trying, have you ever tried to run in sandals? They're trying to do the sandal run and it's really awkward. So maybe they drop to the Olympic speed walking with the hips. I don't know what happened, but they've got to get to Jerusalem as fast as they possibly can. No dawdling. I bet they can barely speak because they're out of breath. They keep looking at each other going oh my goodness oh my goodness we just saw the risen Christ Jesus pursues them on the road he walks with them he hears their hearts he corrects their thinking with truth he reveals himself in communion but it's all for a purpose and it's to get them back on the road. Do you see what he's trying to do? He went after them because they weren't supposed to stay at Emmaus. They were supposed to get back to business, supposed to get back to the believers, get back to mission, get back to the adventure. The encounter was there to change and transform them so they would go out and begin to change and transform the world. Jesus goes in pursuit of them to redirect them. And the same is for us too. In our brokenness, in our, uh, in our um, discomfort, in our difficulty, in our misunderstanding, whatever it might be, Jesus wants to go and invade and encounter us that he might set us back on a new course, a course in pursuit of him and his kingdom. Redirect us, Jesus. Redirect us, Jesus, like you redirected your disciples. This is a repentance moment. We talk about repentance where we turn from sin, but repentance is to turn 180. It's a change of mind and a change of direction. And right there in that moment, they're saying, we will be different. We're going to leave this place and all that Emmaus represents, and we're going to get back on the road, the road of mission. They have a story. They have the story, a story of the risen Christ. You have a story. 
A story of the risen Christ who has met you, who you have encountered, who has changed and transformed your life. You have got a message that you carry. They had this message and they couldn't keep it to themselves. They carry with them hope. And they get back to the other disciples and they begin to share what happened and they can't contain themselves. And I imagine they're almost a little bit embarrassed when they tell the story. There were seven miles. We walked with this guy. had no clue who he was. Then we sat down. He broke bread. And we were like, oh, my goodness. Turns out it's Jesus. But life will never be the same again. And they just keep saying, and our hearts. And our hearts are on fire. And our hearts were burning. Because he told us. He told us his story, and his story has become our story, and we can't help but share it. And the words that they have is, it's true. Your words are that it is true. The story that Jesus told, it is true that he did come to earth to die for sinners, to nail it, be nailed to a cross, to be put in a tomb, to raise to life, that once and for all sin would be done with. And you can declare, like these disciples, it is true. These are the guys that go on to be the early church fathers. I can't tell you the stories of what Cleopas and his pal did. I can't tell you where they went from this point on. But they're surely, surely these are the guys that go on to evangelize the nations. Surely these are the guys that set up churches where there's never been churches before. Because Jesus pursued them. He met them in their sorrow. He heard their story. He corrected it with truth. He reveals himself as they begin to obediently commune with him. And he changes their direction. Life will never be the same again. I want to pray for some of us tonight. I wonder if we could do it old school style. Do you remember where we used to do appeals where people come out and people lay hands on people? I'd like to do that tonight. I wonder how many people long to feel a burning in their hearts. But actually what you feel is more burnt out. Maybe you remember being on fire, but now you just feel a little bit cold. Or maybe there's just a little bit of a glowing ember within, and you're like, Lord, set me on fire. I remember that. I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're the downcast. Maybe you're the disappointed. Maybe you're the one weighed down with grief, struggling to see Jesus. I don't see you, Jesus. In the moment of this difficult and hard and tragic season, I can't see you. And you just want to come and say, Lord, reveal yourself again. Maybe all your perspectives have got a little bit mixed up, a bit messed up. And you just want a correct vision of Jesus. You want him to bring again his truth to you. You need to hear his story again. And so you need to come close to him. You need to know his closeness, his proximity. God promises to come near to the broken hide. Maybe you're someone who had hoped. We had hoped. I had hoped that Jesus would make a difference. I had hoped that Jesus would fix this. I had hoped that Jesus would step in. But now all hope is lost. Are you the hopeless one? I'd love to pray for you.
If you feel like all hope is lost and you just want hope restored because you don't really know how to do life without it, then let's begin to pray for one another. Maybe you're like one of those disciples and you feel like you've been heading in the wrong direction. And I felt like Andy landed on this this morning. Headed in the wrong direction. And you need a redirection. The redirection of Jesus. Maybe you remember being headed towards mission. And then tragedy or difficulty or hardship or pain turns you out towards Emmaus. And you're like, Jesus, please, this is the moment. Turn me back. Send me out. I will go. Maybe you heard Andre tonight and you're thinking, there's no chuffing way that I'm going to Ukraine. But maybe you say, Lord, I'll go wherever. I just need you to turn me. Turn me, Lord. Turn me, Jesus. Turn me back towards you. I just feel like Jesus might want to give a few people a story tonight. Rekindle the story. Let me show you the story. Jesus wants to put those words in your mouth. It's true. Wherever you go, you just go, it's true. People of the truth.